The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so just, I, I am so amazed that you want to speak to us at all, much less that you have uh, seen fit to compile a, a massive record of your words uh, to your people and preserve them so that we might know you and love you and serve you and glorify you and be assured of our great heavenly hope. Be assured that you are with us in the midst of life's uh, difficulties. Be assured that if there is anything good in this life, that it is from you, for your property is always to have mercy. We pray, God, that you would open your word to us that we would once again be thankful, once again uh, be committed to Your uh, grace, to Your love, to the, and to the response which Your grace and Your love requires. We ask that You would be glorified in our midst and that You would be our great teacher and that we would have hearts that give You praise when that happens. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Katie. All right, good morning to everyone. We're so glad that you are here. We are in Matthew chapter 17. This is part nine um, uh, of our study of Matthew, week two of part nine. This is um, uh, called Discipleship as Death and Resurrection. And the title for this particular class is The Sons Are Free, or that's just uh, the children uh, of God are free. The children are free. So, Matthew 17, beginning with chapter 14, and Jesus, uh, tell me where we are. Where, who, who remembers? Where, where, where are we in the story? He just come off the Mount of Transfiguration. That's, that's what's happening here. Um, uh, you remember that uh, Peter, and we're going to talk about this just a little bit, as we always seem to, that Peter confessed that, or made the profession that, Je- that Jesus is the Christ. And now we're headed towards Jerusalem, and uh, the first stop was, was the Mount of Transfiguration, where uh, he had Peter, James, and John, and his, his clothes became bright white, and his face started gleaming, and Moses and, and Elijah showed up. So he's, now they're coming down from this mountaintop high, right? And I, you just think that Peter's head has got to be spinning. It's got to be spinning after he confessed that Jesus the Christ, and he got, well done, blessed are you, Simon, Barjona, you know, I mean, just, just this incredible, um, ecstatic praise from Jesus himself, the Messiah. And then Jesus says, so let me tell you exactly what uh, kind of Messiah I, I will be. I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem and, and be, be killed and suffer many things by the elders and, and on the third day rise. And Peter said, not on my watch, buddy. I got you. I got your back, Jesus. And he says, get behind me, Satan. And, and so, I mean, just the whiplash of, of that. And then, um, and, and, then, and then the transfiguration. So, so profession, uh, admonishment, the glory of being present and invited to, the trans, to this revelation of Jesus' glory. So much so that Peter said, "I don't want to leave, man. Let's just let's just build. Let me let me just build you some tents, some lean-tos or something. You know, we'll get some palm palm fronds, and we'll 
we'll set something up for y'all to stick around. And life is lived in the valley, and that's and that's where they head down to. Now, when you in, if you're in Israel and you come down off the Mount of Transfiguration, there's a little village. It's, it's where the you catch the bus to go up, and and they'll tell you that that's where this scene happens. Maybe, not not necessarily. Um, it, it doesn't say what the name of the of the village is, but um, but what we see is. It, this is the first of three little pericopes, and a pericope is just a little, like a paragraph. It's a teaching, um, almost like a, <laughs> just like a little, three little islands uh, in, the, in the flow of the, of the, uh, of the narrative. And it's just, um, it, it, they don't seem to have a lot of thematic unity that we're going to cover today. Uh, we have the boy who is... Um, exorcised of his demon of this sort of epileptic seizure type fits. Then we have Jesus' uh, second statement that he is going to have to be killed and and rise again uh, in Jerusalem. And then we have the the sort of, I think just, I think it's just a funny story. Uh, This coin in the fish's mouth, just sort of enigmatic, just just, uh, off, you know, just strange. I I think, what, what is it doing? Uh, it doesn't really have anything to do with making the case that Jesus is the Messiah. So he wouldn't have put it before the profession of faith. Uh, it has to be told around the Sea of Galilee. Um, so he can't put it later when he goes to Jerusalem. So it's basically got to be here if he wants to include it. And, and that's, that's, that's where it is. So Matthew stuck it right here. All right, so let's. Um, so we'll see if we can find some themes, or see what we can take from these these three. Next week, of course, we'll be- begin Matthew eighteen, and eight- Matthew eighteen is chock full of discipleship uh, things, especially of forgiveness and reconciliation, and um, even a lot of a lot of churches model their what they would call church discipline, but it's really you know, a hope of. of um, drawing people in or uh, reconciliation, uh, it's, it's based on Matthew 18. And so there's a lot to, lot to talk about uh, coming forward. But these, let's see what we can get uh, from this. Uh, when they came down the mountain, there's, they, they came to a crowd. You know, they're like, they have this just mountaintop. Oh my gosh, I mean, we're going to be talking about this the rest of our lives. And, uh, and then they just come right into a ruckus. Uh, isn't, that, isn't that life? You know, in that life, how many times do you come back from Curcio or you come back for some wonderful vacation only to find that your uh, job just blew up while, while you were gone? Um, they came to the crowd. A man came up to him, kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into water. I mean, just think, like, you're, you're a parent and your kid is having these seizures, falling into the fire falling uh, into the lake uh, or the stream, just how dangerous, how, uh, how diligent you have to be uh, as a parent, but you got to also, you got to make a living. To, so it's just, I mean, it's just hard, right? It's hard. So I brought him to your disciples, and they couldn't heal him. And Jesus answers, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. That sounds 
A little, not very Christ-like, somebody said, yeah. Um, Well, it is, uh, but not, maybe, you know, not an excuse for us to to speak like that, I I guess. Um, We want to talk about that. Why, why, it seems a little out of, overblown, a little out of proportion. What, what is going on? We want to talk about that. Jesus rebuked the demon, it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, I mean, it's a pretty good question. Why could we not cast it out? He said, because of your little faith. Man, Jesus comes off the Mount of Transfiguration. He is back in the valley quick, isn't he? Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. Now that... On the face of it, I mean, I was looking at it, I probably looked at it for 30 minutes, and that doesn't make any sense. You have tiny faith, and with tiny faith, you can move mountains. So essentially what he's saying is, he must be saying, your faith is non-existent, because even if your faith was as large as this, you could move mountains with your faith. So, you've got the three disciples coming off the mountain, Peter, James, and John, they're reunited with the nine, um, and the nine are stressed and confused. So you have this sort of confluence of, of life and of, of uh, emotion. Now, if you read, if you flip over to the Gospel of Mark, Mark tells this same story. It's much more colorful, uh, much more colorful than Matthew. Matthew's version is very stark. And there's, uh, Mark has much more description of what happens to the boy. The, the father goes into the foaming of the mouth and the grinding of the teeth and, and such. And, and, um, and, and this is where the father says, uh, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And I love that passage. I wish Matthew said that, but he doesn't. Why not? Mark's emphasis is on the boy, right? It's on the, it's on the father's faith. It's on Jesus' ability to heal. Very little about the disciples. But Matthew has a different burden. Same story, but he's employing the story for a slightly different purpose. Because Matthew wants to talk about discipleship and about following Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. Going towards the cross. And so... And so Matthew's emphasis is not on the, the faith of the man or the Jesus' ability to heal. That's sort of, they're sort of taken for granted. Uh, what here is, uh, is emphasized is the faith or the lack of faith uh, that the disciples have. Why would that be the case? But for you and me. For our faith. Because we're following Jesus. We're disciples. And so he wants uh, to emphasize that. So they come down from the mountain, they find this crowd gathered, and when they see Jesus, the man comes up and he kneels before Jesus. So he knew who Jesus was, he knew what Jesus could do, he'd heard the stories, maybe he'd seen him uh, around, but undoubtedly he had gone looking for Jesus in the first place, right? He didn't wake up and go, I know what I'm going to do, I'm going to find a disciple of Jesus. No, he, he, was looking for the, the, he was looking for the team captain, right? He was looking for the guy who knew how to do this, um, you can imagine the fame of Jesus isn't like, um, boy, you should see his disciples. <laughs> I mean, not yet, anyway. Uh, they're, they're still kind of goofy. And, but, but he can't find Jesus because Jesus is up glowing on the mountain. So he, he's, 
uh, he found the disciples, maybe they know what to do. And in fact, if we were to flip back, to, I believe it's chapter 10, Jesus had given the disciples authority to cast out demons. And we have not actually seen it happen yet in Matthew. But if we look over into the other Gospels, presumably they have had some experience already, and they've certainly seen Jesus, and they know, technically speaking, how to do it. So Jesus' reaction, so well, let me just, I'm skipping ahead. The father explains the situation. His son is, uh, has these dangerous epileptic seizures. The seizure itself would have been um, dangerous, but, but the fact that he just seizes up on the spot and falls wherever he is. When I was, um, I was in college and did this, or maybe it was right after college, but I did this uh, summer mission sort of internship, and uh, I, was a, um, I, I was a youth minister at this little bitty church for, for a summer. And we did this mission, local mission project where we went around. And man, I will never forget... And I heard that it could happen, but this girl just, I mean, it was hot, you know, South Carolina summers, and, and man, I just looked at her, and she went like this, and her eyes rolled back, and she just, I mean, stiff as a board, just pow! And I just held her little head in my hand. I didn't catch her, unfortunately, but, uh, but she, didn't, she wasn't really hurt, thank God. And, um, and I just held her while she had her seizure, a little bit of foam coming out, and then it stopped. And she was okay. Of course, we had to call and take her to the doctor and everything, but she was, she was okay. But, but it was, man, it was, I won't forget it. It was, it was scary. And you may have had a child or a neighbor or something, family member or something like that. You've, you've experienced some of that. And, um, but the disciples, so the disciples are, are pretty confident in their ability. You know, and, I mean, these are the ones that were like, hey, Who's the greatest? You know, like they they hadn't quite gotten it yet, and um, and so you could I, who knows they're fighting for a chance. Oh, I'm going to do. It. Oh, no, let me do it. Let me. You know, and 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 they say, say the magic words and nothing happens. They try again and nothing happens. Let you can't do it. Let me do it. You, you can just imagine the the scene. And there's this big ruckus, and it wasn't the scene of pious humility. I just don't think, it's hard to imagine it was a scene of pious humility of the nine gathering around praying for this, this child and nothing's happening. That it is, it's seen, like it, at least the way I picture it in my mind, it's, it's the nine struggling for authority and, and sort of place as a, using this as a means of establishing their place among the twelve. And so Jesus has this surprising reaction. Oh, twisted generation. What does he say? Oh, faithless. Faithless and twisted generation. How long am I to be with you? How am I going to put up with you people? What do you make of this? What do you make of it? Why would Jesus react so stridently? Yes, Richard. First hand I saw. I cured him. Jesus did. Okay. It's me, my action, what I was able to do. That's working without faith. Working without faith. Okay, they were faithless. I mean, they he diagnoses right there. He seems kind of ticked, but he's 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 diagnosing. Yes, Emily. What were you gonna say? Jesus is a human. He's a human, a human 
emotions. And, uh, and as we see throughout, sometimes Jesus is angry, sometimes he cries, sometimes he gets impatient. And that's what I see, that's what I'm taking from this, is that this is one of the times that you know, like you said, I'm sick of your people. Now, um, I'm going to do it, but just know that, you know, that's my take. Yeah. My um, my parents used to say that whenever we came back from, we, we would go for like two weeks or some, sometimes we went for a month of, of summer camp, you know, which was an awesome vacation for them, by the way. But, um, <laughs> and it was out in the woods and it was fun, but I mean, that we loved, loved it. And, um, and you would think that we'd come back from this just going, oh, mom, thank you so much for this incredible experience. We were completely monsters when we got back. Like, we were totally ungrateful. And, um, and it, it, you would, whereas you would think that we would, a, a month of camp would sort of, I don't know, soothe us coming back in. It actually, um, we wanted the freedom. When we got back home, we wanted the freedom that we had had. And it made us uh, sort of worse for a little bit until we figured it out. You wonder if Jesus is like just had this incredible moment of revelation. He comes back. He's like, "Oh, jeez, I want to go back up on the mountain too." But the thing is, is that his reaction is going to be completely uh, righteous. There's not going to be any sort of selfishness. There's not going to be any um, me first attitude. He is human. He does have emotion, but it will be a completely sinless reaction. So I think we have to we. Not saying that that's wrong, but we we need to weigh weigh all those things. But I do think the diagnosis is right that that there was there was a, the object of their faith was misplaced. Anybody else want to take a stab at Jesus' strident reaction? Yes, Paul. I think the frustration that he had is something that we all have. That here I'm trying to teach you something, and it's falling on deaf ears. So he automatically becomes very frustrating and kind of like a memory. He said he's human, it's angry. It's angry. Okay. Yeah, John. I think earlier we, we, where we were talking about, he had told him in one case, you didn't pray hard enough. In other words, you didn't bring God into the picture. You were doing it on your own self. So similar, similar to what Richard was saying. Yeah, that you that their uh, the object of their faith was was their own abilities, the magic words, so to speak, rather than uh, sort of doing it the, their technique rather than the the object of their faith, which was God. Hit Linda. I see kind of a combination of both, and I'm picturing my gentle Methodist mother who never cursed with us kids. In frustration, going, you, you kids would make all the saints in heaven swear. That was my mother's version. <laughs> you, your mother, your sweet Methodist mother said, you kids would make all the saints in heaven swear, and yet she did not, right? That is, I'm going to have to, can, is that copyrighted, or can I, can I use that? Because that's a good one. That's a really good one. Although, unfortunately, my children wouldn't believe it. <laughs> I think that, that, as my, um, as one of my children said, that ship has sold. Yeah. Um, brilliance, brilliance. So here, all these things might be, uh, might be right, but he, I found one uh, commentator's 
description very compelling. Remember, Matthew is, the, is, is a Jewish gospel, right? It's, it's drenched with Old Testament references. Jesus is the new Israel. He's also the new Moses. We, see, we saw that especially before He began His ministry lots and lots and lots of times. But we see it again. Because who else came off the mountain with Shekinah glory glowing uh, from the glory of the Lord, saw faithless people, threw the tablets down in fury, and God had to make more tablets. You remember? Like, he's reflecting Moses. And I just... I mean, there, I wish... I mean, I, I need to think about that some more. I mean, there's, there's so much there. It's not just that he is um, establishing... Uh, it's not just that he's ticked. But he's, he's further establishing himself as, as, as God's Messiah. Um, that he's come off the mountain and he is upset with the sin and the faithlessness, the misplaced faith of his people. Because what did Moses find? He found the people worshiping a golden calf of their own making. I love Aaron. what Aaron said. Moses, I, I mean, I just... They said, where's God? And I said, give me your gold. And, and I put it in the fire and out jumped this calf. That is classic. You know? Classic. The prophet was angry at the people. What were you going to say? Brandon. Yeah, I think um, you're wise to point back to the Exodus account here. You know, we... I think we see the words of the father in this and not just the words of the son it's it's the father saying you know i was with you i invited you onto the mountain to be with me and you were afraid so you sent moses and in his absence you displayed your lack of faith mm -hmm. and moses came down and had this experience and you displayed your faithlessness then and I revealed myself to you then and again and again and again. We see this cycle of God communing with humanity and humanity and things going well and then humanity rebelling and things not going well and God communing again to save them. And this is, Jesus is the, the final and perfect manifestation of that cycle. And he's... He's finally here perfectly as a man, not only with Moses, but among everyone. And they do the same Please. thing. Please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Absolutely. It's ma magnificent, yes. They, they do the exact same thing. He's, this is the story of Israel, and it's the story of us again, over and over. Just, I'm finally here with you, and you're still doing the same old thing. How, how long am I to bear with you? And yet, this is why Jesus is going to Jerusalem. It's because of our lack of faith. I mean, how many times? I mean, all your life, you've been in church, most of you, not all of you, but many of you have been in church all your life. And you still struggle with faithlessness. You know, like, how, many, how, how, how long? This is me. Yeah, absolutely it is. <laughs> absolutely it is. So, and remember, Moses too called. He said, "I mean, he would complain to the Lord. This is a twisted generation, you know. It's a, it's the faithless generation." So, 
there's this awesome reflection. He's the final and perfect prophet. And the cherry on top, and I'll, I'll shut up. In that moment, Moses cried out for mercy on behalf of the people and their faithlessness, and God had mercy. And that's what we see here. Yes, indeed. Thank you. So he said, that in case you couldn't hear, that Moses also cried out, interceded for the people that, he, that it were exasperating to him, and, um, and God had mercy. And we see the same thing here. So Jesus um, rebukes the demon out of the boy. And we, you know, some people say, you know, that they're just unscientific people. It's just epilepsy. Well, epilepsy, they knew what epilepsy was. They say this is demonic. So I, I, I mean, I, I don't know that there's a lot of good in trying to parse out, was it just epilepsy? What? Maybe, because over in, in Mark, he says, well, this kind of only comes out with prayer. And so maybe that's sort of a, a nod to the fact that it's an illness, not a, not a, uh, a demonic possession. But, but in any case, the way Matthew tells it, it's a demon, and he casts the demon out. He's healed, and, but he is healed, uh, not just exercised. Either way, whatever it is, the disciples are fairly humiliated, right? And, and, and Mark doesn't spend time with the Father, Help my Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. He spends time with the disciples. Why couldn't we cast it out? And Mark says, this kind only comes out by prayer, but Matthew blames it on the faith of the disciples. And, and, it's cert, and I think that is, um, uh, it's, it's likely that what, what you said is, is right, that their confidence was in themselves, in their own abilities uh, to say the right words. We saw how Jesus did it. We're going to do it the same way. We're going to hold my hand this way. We're going to cock our head. We're going to, whatever it is, we're, um, we're going to say the, thing, the right things. And it's not about that. You know, in the same way that Mo- Moses came off the mountain with a reflected glory, it wasn't his glory, but Jesus was, uh, when Jesus was on the mountain, his was the actual glory of God. The disciples' authority is a reflected authority. And, and your authority and my authority is a reflected authority. It's not, we don't have authority in and of ourselves spiritually. That is, we only get it from God, and and their uh, their faith was in their own ability uh, to heal. And of course, they don't have any ability to heal. If if you have faith that I'm going to go up to the Butman Bridge and flap my arms and, and I'm going to and fly, and you got all the faith in the world, you're not going to fly. You can get wet, you know. And so, um, and it, it is um, it, it is the object of our faith, not the strength of our faith, that matters. And so I think what he is saying, that, I think that's what he's saying. When he says, you have, no, you have very little faith, and yet even with little faith you can move mountains. Your faith is just in the wrong thing. Um, I think that's what he's saying. That's how I understand it. Uh, that it's the object of the faith. Now, the truth is, uh, you're probably not going to have a lot of reason to try to move a mountain by your faith. And, and more than likely, if you pray... And tell a mountain, uh, by that your faith, you go up to North Carolina and tell that mountain to move into the sea. It's not going to, right? That that's he's not. You know, it's it's a metaphor. That that God Almighty, who created the mountains, who's the one who tells the, the the ocean to stop where it stops. That this God has you have His ear, and you pray to Him, and He will do with that prayer what He sees fit. But you have the ear of the Lord. But your, your, 
the object of your faith must be right. We get our authority from Him, not for ourselves. They're, they weren't picked because they were special to be apostles. They were picked because they were given grace. That's it. And you, dear friend, as talented and wonderful and good-looking as you are, you were not picked because of your talent or your good looks or your wonderfulness. You're picked because God is merciful. And that is something for which we give incredible thanks. So when we pray, we pray for His ability uh, to work. Um, there are some people that have just wonderful manifestations of the Spirit, but they, I hope, would be the first to tell you that they don't have the ability to, to, to heal. They, they pray to God and God heals. Okay. Mercifully, we are short on time. Um, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, uh, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill Him, and He will be raised on the third day, and they were greatly distressed. This is the second of three predictions. We get three predictions from Jesus about what's going to happen. And it's the same basic information except that we had before, except now it's a it's basic information, but he says the Son of Man will be delivered. In other words, there is somebody who's going to take him. He's not just going to walk into trouble with the, the elders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that somebody's going to uh, deliver, deliver him to them. And this same, some translations uh, actually read into that and, and translate this betrayed. The, uh, the Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of men. Uh, the word technically just means handed over. But it was often the word that was associated with Judas. And so, um, I think it's paradidomi is the Greek word. Doesn't, that doesn't matter. But, um, but he was about to be betrayed into the hands of men. Either way, he's not just going to suffer things from the elders. He's going to be given over to them. Uh, and he's passive in that sense. Now, he's, he's in control. He's walking into it knowingly. But he is uh, going to be, and we see this happen, of course, in Gethsemane. They come and grab him and take him. He is delivered. Uh, there had been no mention of betrayal before um, to the disciples. We, um, so we know it, but they don't yet. And, um, and we, we'd only, there's only co- sort of that basic commentary to the reader uh, when he names the disciples, names all 12 disciples, and Judas who betrayed him. But that's, uh, the disciples don't know anything about that yet. And it's going to end in his death, and he on the third day he's going to rise. And they were greatly distressed because they don't have it, they just I mean the resurrection they just that they don't know what he's talking about. They got no imagination for something as miraculous and wonderful as that. They just hear that he's going to die, and nobody's going to tell him at this point. Uh uh-uh, uh, not on my watch because nobody <laughs> is going to get told to get behind me, Satan. They just are sad. And they're, but not just sad, they're distressed because they are with Him. What's going to happen to me as I follow this man to his death? And that is a great question of discipleship. What is going to happen to me if I really follow this thing all the way through? It's really quite related, isn't it, to, our, to the sermon today. What's going to happen? Sometimes it works out great. Not always. At least from an earthly perspective. 
God is glorified both in victory and in defeat. I mean, His greatest glory is in massive failure on the cross. And then resurrection. Again, just completely over the disciples' heads that this could possibly end well. But then they, they come in, so they're just they're beginning their journey, but they're still in Capernaum's on the north west side of uh, Galilee. And so they're just, I mean, they're they're still getting ready to pack, you know, and uh, to go south to Jerusalem. And when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? And Peter said, Yes. Yes, he does, or yes, he doesn't. I, I... <laughs> Pretty smart, Peter. Um, I think he said, I think commentators think he means yes, he pays the tax. And we came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And Peter knows a thing or two and he says, from others. They don't tax their sons. Because the sons are in the royal family. They benefit from the taxes. They... And Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. The sons of the king benefit from the tax are free. However, this is so... Not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook, take in the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you're going to find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. It kind of sounds like folklore, doesn't it? I mean, it kind of sounds like somebody's making something up. Now, of course, if you can go to the Sea of Galilee now, you can go to the, the restaurant and they'll serve this beautiful fish. This whole, it's still got a, the head on it and it's in the mouth. It's got a little coin. Um, got a little coin. But I'm, I'm suspicious that they didn't catch it that way. Um, interestingly enough, so Matthew's writing in like the 80s. You know, like it happened all in the 20s and 30s, but... Um, uh, but he's writing in the 70s or 80s, after, after the, uh, the temp- more than likely after the temple has been um, torn down by the Romans. And the Romans were still, of course, because they were occupying the land, that they were, they were, um, uh, they were requiring tax from the people. And the Jews who wanted to kick the Romans out still, probably even more so, in Matthew's writing days than his discipleship days, wonder what is faithfulness? Are we going to pay the tax that is required of us, or are we going to put our foot down and not pay the tax because and trust that God is going to get us through? And Jesus says, pay the tax. And so Matthew's telling the story as I think as an encouragement to the people in that day because they still had a similar need. Now, the, uh, the, two, the two drachma tax was, uh, as I understand it, uh, about two days' wages. And, um, and it was, everybody had to pay it. Every man had to pay it. So, and it went to go and help the temple. It was like a temple tax. And, um, and people were willing to pay that, but it, it actually had gotten... Um, gotten turned around 
in, in Matthew's day, in his writing's day, because they, they still required the tax, but there wasn't a temple left, and it went to the Romans. And um, rabbis in Jesus' day didn't have to pay the, the tax. But Jesus wasn't an official rabbi. Like, he hadn't gone to school and stuff. He just wrote the book, you know. But, but that wasn't... Um, but he didn't... So, so he says, so as not to give offense, pay the tax. Now, did Peter go down and cast a fish, and cast a hook and, and, uh, and pull up a fish with a coin in his mouth? I mean, you know, a lot of times, you know, fish, I'm not a great fisherman, but when fishermen cast a line, they use shiny things that the fish bite on. So it's not, it's not untenable that a fish could have a, a coin in its mouth, and yet how did Jesus know that the first fish that Peter was going to catch would have a coin in its mouth? Well, he also knew where uh, the school of fish was, throw your net out on the right side of the boat. He knew how many uh, husbands the woman at the well had. I mean, what's to say he didn't know? Is it folklore? I don't know. I think it's to be intended to re- just to be read humorously. But I think that also the main thing is that the sons are free, that we are children of the king and yet we still live in this world. And so there is this sense in which as disciples, we are free. We are no longer under the law. You, you are not going to go to heaven because you obeyed the speed limit. Should you obey the speed limit? Yeah. You're not going to, I know. Me neither. But it's just a good example. Because one more all from me. Should you pay your taxes? Yes. Should you... Uh, Obey the laws of the land, yes. Why? Because God said that all authority has been given, distributed by Him. Even authority that is seemingly godless to us. Are we going to be good witnesses? Well, we're not going to make a ruckus and say things like, we don't, we're no longer under law, because they don't understand that. We're going to be good citizens so that we have the platform to tell them about the Lord. So, uh, so be good citizens. If that means paying taxes, pay your taxes. Um, my homeowners associate, well, I don't even get into my homeowners associate, but be a good citizen. You know, the thing is that God doesn't take tax from us because you're sons and daughters. He paid the price. You're in the royal family. He does not require anything from you because it is, it is all paid. You are not under the law. You're under grace. But part of our response to grace is being good citizens. Something to chew on. So, that's what we have. What do you think? Was there a coin in the mouth of a fish? Actually? Yeah? Yeah? No, well, actually, it doesn't. This is one of the only miracle accounts that that it actually we're not given an account. We never are told that Peter went down and caught the fish. Jesus just says, "Go down there and do it," and we never hear about it. It's it's very it's actually quite unique in in scripture. Yeah. This story is unique to Matthew. It's not in any of the other gospels. That's right. 
There, there are other gospels that talk about the tax, but temple tax, but they don't talk about the fish. I think it's just. Remember, Matthew was a disciple. He had the inside scoop. I think he probably just thought it was funny. Although he probably would have forgotten about it if there wasn't a fish with a coin in its mouth. So I tend to think there was. But it's just speculation. The important thing is that the children of God are free and yet called to be good citizens. Amen? Amen. All right, listen, we'll see you in church or we'll see you next week when we begin to look at Matthew chapter 18. Who is the greatest? That's the, uh, that's the question these, these brilliant disciples want to know. Who's the greatest? <laughs>